0: But I think when people visit battlefields and study battles, they should contemplate the dead that are all around them. And we have that at Camden. There are three or 400 dead on the Camden battlefield. Uh, we, we've just scratched the surface here. Uh, not to say we're going to try to find three or 400 individuals. But my point is, a battlefield like this, everybody is there. Nobody was ever dug up and taken away. They are all there. And I think there should be some notion of that when people visit battlefield. You are listening to History Man, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are at the Camden Visitor Center in Camden, South Carolina, recording a three-part series sponsored by the Camden Visitor Center and the South Carolina Battleground Preservation Trust. The panel discussion surrounding the discovery and examinations of the soldiers found at the Battle of Camden site reveal much about that revolutionary battle, the soldiers, and their sacrifices. In this episode, we will hear from Mr. James Legg in an overview of the archaeology. Okay, what I have is uh, a fairly brief summary of the Camden archaeological project from its beginning all the way through up to and including the burial project that we did in the fall. Now, there was very little done with the Camden battlefield in in terms of any effort at preservation or anything else beyond the original little DAR park that was established in 1909, a little six-acre park around the uh, DeKalb Monument. And nothing else happened until 1996. And in 1996, the Catawba Valley Land Trust um, began negotiating with the Bowwater Paper Company. Bowwater owned almost all of the battlefield and operated it as commercial pine stands for uh, paper and timber. And Catawba Valley was in negotiations with the paper company to preserve the battlefield. And they didn't have the money to try to buy the thing outright. So they went for a conservation easement, and uh, that would guarantee simply that the property would never be developed for anything other than than pine trees. And that process took several years, and by the time it was done, the management of the preservation process had already moved to the uh, Palmetto Conservation Fund. But to this day, Catawba Valley still holds that easement within the property that is now actually owned by preservation entities. Uh, So that was in 1996 that this process began. And uh, for some reason, I was deemed to be somebody who had some notion of where the Battle of Camden was actually fought, and I was asked to draw a boundary uh, between three or 400 acres in size on the paper company property but I thought would encompass the core of the battlefield. Uh, I did have some notion of where I thought it was fought, and as it turned out, I, was, I couldn't have drawn a better boundary, uh, and it was largely accidental. Uh, I did not have a detailed knowledge of where things were, but it worked out just fine. The Eastman ended up being the core of the battlefield, which is now a little less than 800 acres, I think, in terms of total preservation. Is that right, Doug? Yes. So we've got a sizable thing preserved there. And initially, as I say, the property was not owned by preservation entities. It was still owned by the paper company. And in 1998, they did an enormous clear-cutting operation on about 70% of the conservation easement property which is what you do if you're a paper company and you grow commercial pine trees. Uh, It was still kind of a miscommunication and we were real surprised when that happened, but uh, when I saw what they had done, particularly on the west side of the highway, I thought, well, here's a chance to see uh, what sort of archeological integrity there is left on the battlefield. Now, I say that because the battlefield had undergone at least three decades of relic hunting by people with metal detectors, and they had removed easily 90% of the artifacts from the Battle of Camden. Uh, but as Steve and I have known for a long time, that kind of activity does not kill the evidence for a battle because the ghost of the material that is left still represents the original distribution. And I'll I'll show you what I mean here in a minute. Okay, this photo is from that clear-cut survey that we did in 1998. Now this was the first little sample we did. It might have been five acres altogether. And it yielded a total of 47 artifacts which doesn't sound like much, but it told me that if this was extrapolated over a couple of hundred acres, that it would tell us a lot about where the Battle of Camden took place. Uh, And indeed, that has been the case. And I I should say also that if we had the knowledge and the metal detectors that we have now, we wouldn't have found 47 artifacts. We would have found probably 300 uh, in a clearing like this, but anyway. That was the first effort. There was nothing official about it. We just asked Bowater if we could do it. They said okay. I did it with some volunteers on a couple of weekends, and we put the records away, and that was fine. Beginning in 2001, Steve began to get pieces of grant money from the uh, Palmetto Conservation Foundation, uh, which, who, as I said, had become the... the primary movers in preserving the battlefield. And one of the things that they wanted to do was archaeological assessment. And between 01 and, what, 07 was the last one? uh, Steve got these three different pieces of grant money that were essentially a continuous project that we did uh, that resulted in three different reports. we did a variety of things in order to assess the battlefield, but the, the the most salient thing we did was a lot more metal detecting, and this is this has been our primary effort all along. Until last fall, it, it was almost everything that we did was this this huge ongoing metal detecting project, uh, and it was uh, it was really quite an effort to get the data that we have because, like I say, we were following decades of metal detecting and we had to be pretty good with metal detectors ourselves. We had to have improved ground conditions like mowing or burning in order to to get ahead of those who had gone before us and get a decent sample of material. Now what we did, whenever we had time, whenever we had grant money or even when we didn't have any grant money, we would do a little block of territory maybe a little rectangle of half an acre, we would bound that and cover 100% of the surface inside that area. We would map the area and we would map each individual artifact that we found in that area. Now our our primary mapping method was simply a survey grade GPS unit. So we were not out there with a transit recording each musket ball and buckshot, we were using (laughs) Uh, a GPS unit to locate these things within maybe a meter or a yard of radius which is close enough when you're talking about uh, small arms ammunition scattered across a huge battlefield. You wouldn't want to build a house with it but it's <laughs> it's close enough for the kind of distribution that we were looking for and in this slide you can see, maybe see, There's a lot of little orange flags in the center photo. Each one of those is an artifact (coughs) that is waiting to be recorded with the GPS unit. Now, here's another version of a a slide that I think you've already seen. But uh, as of last fall, we have about 2,900 artifacts from the battlefield. Uh, which w- when I totaled it up the last time I was kind of amazed because again, we are latecomers to this. Uh, this place uh, had gotten to be some of a, a battlefield that relic hunters really weren't very interested in because they couldn't find anything anymore. Uh, and we've got 2,900 mapped battle artifacts from this, this battlefield. Now, of course, it's taken us 20 years, more than 20 years. But what you see here is more significant than it looks because, of course, we have we have maybe two dozen primary accounts, participant accounts, of the Battle of Camden. We have the existing terrain. We have some fairly poor 18th century maps and early 19th century maps. But when you take it all together, we know, as Steve said, that the Battle of Camden quickly degenerated into two separate firefights. Uh, Brigade sized firefights. Uh, Baron de Cab was basically on an east west axis across the road. And by the way, the road is the road. The modern Highway 58 is almost exactly the 18th century road from the, the time of the battle. Uh, and Small Smallwoods Brigade, which was originally in reserve that attempted to move up after the militia ran away, uh, they fought largely on the east side of the road, attempting to come forward far enough to join up with Dekat. And as we know, the junction was never made. So this is really two separate brigade-sized battles in close proximity to one another. There was always a gap between the two. And what you see here, if somebody says, where was the Battle of Camden fought?" You are looking at the Battle of Camden. That's it for real. That's, that's empirical evidence of where the thing was. And the blob on the bottom, if you look at it as a J-shape, the red blob on the bottom is Cab's Battle. And it, it goes from the swamp there on the left, it crosses the road a little bit, and then it stops. And the material, the upper part of the J, going back up toward the the northern boundary, that is smallwoods battle. And this works so well that it's almost astonishing to me, because normally archaeological evidence ends up being pretty ambiguous and doesn't make sense, and you have to explain it away somehow. I don't have any problem explaining this. This is the Battle of Camden as it is described in the primary sources and you're looking at at the physical evidence for it that was still there in 1998. And we're still digging it up. In fact, I should point out that uh, we can now add maybe another 250 little red dots to the decab portion of this distribution uh, since this map was last updated. So, I'm real happy with this little map. <laughs> now, as I said, this, this place had been hit really hard by relic hunters. And one of the tasks that we undertook in during the period when we had some grant money, uh, we did a survey of these collectors, as many as we could find who wanted to cooperate and tell us what they had found and uh, allow us to photograph their artifacts and so forth. And this ended up being uh, a very valuable and rewarding experience. We learned an awful lot about the battlefield uh, from speaking with these guys and walking around in the battlefield and mapping what they could remember about uh, what they had found. Uh, Now, of course, they weren't plotting things in particular places. So the things they were able to plot that they remembered specifically were gun parts, or uniform buttons, or shoe buckles, and not fired musket balls. Uh, these individuals sometimes had six or eight hundred or a thousand musket balls, and they were essentially a single provenience or provenance, as some people would say. They were from the Camden battlefield. Uh, so anyway, we, we learned a lot. And I have to say that the uh, fairly subjective map that we made based entirely on their testimony locks in almost perfectly with the distribution that we got from the metal detector. The shape that I projected for the the densest part of the battlefield is the same shape as our map. Uh, So again, a remarkable remarkable result, I think. But in the course of this collector survey, uh, there was discussion of burials that people had found. And uh, I ultimately recorded and numbered burials one through eight based on what people had told me. Unfortunately, most of these burials were lost even then because of the clear cut, because these people knew that there was a spot in the woods between a couple of trees that they would recognize. And those places were no longer there. The visual frames of reference for these burials that they knew had been found or that they had found themselves were gone. Uh, But in 2006, as part of one of these grant projects, we did uh, testing to try to find as many of these as possible. We only found two. We found what is still, to this day, burial number one, which is the, the 71st guy the Highlander. Uh, We verified him, and that's what's going on in these three photos. We opened up the hole that was originally dug, and we didn't dig any more than that. We just dug out the hole that was originally dug and said, yep, here he is. And yes, he is a 71st Regiment of Foot soldier, because we removed one button. Now." In 2006, we didn't make any, any, or any other effort. We did locate burial number four, uh, which as, as Doug mentioned, uh, he ended up being a Native American individual. That guy had no artifacts uh, at the time that we reopened the burial. And according to the testimony of two different collectors, there was nothing on that individual but civilian 18th century buttons. So we have no military diagnostics. He, he didn't have a musket ball in his body. He had no military diagnostics. Uh, and we didn't find any when we, when we reopened the burial. Uh, so we, we weren't able to say who he was. And we're still not entirely sure who he was. But the context looks good for him being a loyalist from North Carolina. Now, uh, After Doug became heavily involved in the preservation of the Camden battlefield, I had conversations with him and Steve about the possibility of doing a burial project. We knew we had, uh, well, by the time we were in conversation, we had three or four burials. I forget which. But we knew we had the two that collectors had found. And between 2020 and 2021, we found three more burials metal detected and i should say that because of the pandemic steve and i had a huge amount of time uh, to go to the battlefield and cover intensively a lot of ground and we roughly doubled our density map during that period so since 2020 we've we've roughly doubled our data and in doing that uh, we found three additional burials uh, a, a fourth Steve found metal detecting during the burial project. And another showed up in backhoe work during the project. So we ended up with kind of a problem because at the time we we looked at a, at a research design and a budget for Doug, we knew we had five individuals to excavate. And of course we ended up with 14 men in seven different locations. All right. We, we've had some criticism, particularly online. We've had some, some fairly strident, if not nasty criticism about the fact that we did this project at all. Uh, so with that in mind, I wanted to throw this slide in. I just put it in yesterday I think. Uh, to my mind, these are the three reasons that I, I really wanted to do this project. And i wanted to do it for a very long time. And I was, I was very happy that Doug wanted to do it. And so we went with it. These are my three primary reasons. And I think, um, Steve, you'll agree that these are, these are pretty, pretty much our, our reasons for wanting to do this thing. Uh, and I, I hate to read PowerPoint slides. So I hope everybody can read this. Uh, and I'll be completely honest, number three, is a very strong factor for me. Uh, I really wanted to, my my archaeological interest in excavating these individuals was very strong. Uh, But there's also the matter of the fact that they were in uh, absurdly poor graves. They were subject to relic They were subject to root damage, insect damage, weathering. and I thought they should have decent burials. Now, another factor that is that is now, of course, a little bit controversial, is that I thought we should bury everyone, rebury everyone, in exactly the same place, same angle, same location, on the battlefield, so that these guys would forever be markers on the battlefield uh, for anybody who visited. And I. Frankly, I think when people visit battlefields, which is a very entertaining thing to do, of course, but I think when people visit battlefields and study battles, they should contemplate the dead that are all around them. And we have that at Camden. There are three or 400 dead on the Camden battlefield. Uh, we, we've just scratched the surface here. Uh, not to say we're gonna try to find three or 400 individuals, but my point is, a battlefield like this, everybody is there. Nobody was ever dug up and taken away. They are all there. And I think there should be some notion of that when people visit battlefields. So we have the opportunity to do that at camp. And it looks like it's kind of up in the air about what will ultimately happen. But hopefully at least they will be on the battlefield. If they're not on the battlefield, or if they are in a central location on the battlefield, we can at least put some sort of little permanent marker at the location of each removed grave. So that when you take that tour path with your pamphlet or your podcast, uh, you know, you'll say, well, you know, somebody was killed right here. And and that, I really wanted to see that. And I hope that will come to pass in some form or another. Um, Okay, let me zip through these real quickly. I'm already burning up somebody else's time here, but uh, just to look at some of these burials. Uh, this is the 71st burial. This was the only reasonably deep, reasonably formal grave. Burial four. Now, of course, I don't have a photograph for burial four because that is no longer something that we can really do. You can't really do public exhibition of Native American remains. So what you see is, uh, my friend Tarek Gafar's pencil drawing plan of the burial before it was removed. Uh, and I can guarantee you, I look very closely, you can see no human remains in the photograph. So we are legal. <laughs> burial 9, I'm doing these in numerical order. Burial 9 was the first, uh, the first grave that was found after the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I got a reading on a USA continental button, and I thought I had one individual here when we excavated last fall it ended up being five individuals, five continentals piled in together. This is also Burial Nine. And you know, these two people on my left over here keep reappearing in my slides for some reason because they they were primarily responsible for the physical removals, the sophisticated the, the, the sophisticated You know, end of excavation, cleaning and pedestaling, and removal of the elements because they know what they're doing. Burial 10 uh, was a Continental loaded with USA buttons. This individual was so shallow. You can see the the upper part of that central photo. That is the, the ground surface. This individual was so shallow that if his knees had not been weathered off or eaten away by animals or whatever, they would have protruded from the ground now. Not in 1780, but right now. Burial 11, two Continentals. Uh, Again, Continental buttons. Burial 12 had no buttons, but he had a Continental bayonet scabbard. And uh, he was in an area where the Continentals were trying to leave the battlefield. They were trying to escape from the battlefield. So, I am convinced that he's a continental. It's very unlikely that he's not. And that, that bayonet scabbard tip is diagnostic of the continental equipment and not something British. Burial 13, three continentals. Also with USA bombs. I also want to point out that something that, that Bill instigated. Uh, at the, uh, the very end of each removal, Usually, the, uh, the skull was about the last thing to come out. Uh, it was usually the final container of remains that went to Bill's vehicle. And Bill instituted this, this tradition almost immediately that we should have a flag honour for this last container that went to the coroner's vehicle. And so, here are shots from three different flag honours that took place during the course of the removals. This was done for each one of these guys, including the British soldier with a British flag, of course, as they left the battlefield. Okay, very quickly. uh, The artifact collection from the burial project itself was not very interesting. Uh, The 71st soldier was probably the, the best group of artifacts. We managed to get a hold of everything that had ever been removed previously from that burial. And of course, we we excavated everything else during the project. So we have, for example, this 71st Regiment Enlisted Men's Sword Shoulder Belt Regimental Device. And we have a large quantity of 71st Regiment buttons from this one individual. I think the only other thing on on that individual was a pair, a double pair of brass uh, sleeve buttons and a musket flint. Uh, USA buttons. The Continentals, except for the guy with the bayonet scabbard, were uh, loaded with these Continental USA enlisted men's buttons, which were in terrible condition. I have, I have a, a table full of these little containers of these disintegrating buttons, and I've got to try to do what I can with as many of them as possible. Uh, here's what they should look like. Uh, Here's a French gun flint that was in Burial 13, and a tin cup with the handle broken off, which was thrown in the top of Burial 13, and I think it was probably used to dig or backfill the grave. And finally, we had a total of nine fired musket balls and two fired buckshot that uh, were in close association with the remains. I think it's... I think it's likely that these were all wound-producing projectiles. I'm not going to go any further into that because I need to hand that off. But uh, uh, these guys, at least eight of them had been shot with musket balls. Uh, Others may have been shot through, shot through and through with a bullet. They may have been bayoneted, they may have been clubbed to death, who knows. I'll let uh, Bill and Maddie get into that. Uh, Quickly, in conclusion, I have to say that I misjudged the level of effort that would be necessary to do this thing very badly. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. Steve asked me my opinion about what I thought it would take to do this with the contract that we had with Doug and uh, I'll never listen to him again. Yeah, don't don't listen to my estimates ever again. Uh, Now, it wasn't just the fact that we ended up with 14 individuals uh, instead of five. There was also the fact that the bone ended up being in very poor condition, uh, much uh, much worse off than we had anticipated, and that meant that each one of the individual excavations took probably, what, twice as long as, as we had anticipated. Uh, so we needed, we needed some cavalry real fast, right after the project got started. I mean things were, uh, uh, my, my planning, I'm not gonna blame it on Steve, I'm gonna say my planning is not very good, and we, we got that assistance, uh, immediately. We got it from the Richland County Coroner's office, we got it from the DNR, Heritage Trust Archaeology Program. Historic Camden, Kershaw County, uh, the TRC, Archaeological Contracting Firm in Columbia, and a bunch of individuals. We, we had this amazing outpouring of largely unsolicited assistance. I mean, people just said, you know, we'll help with this. Uh, and uh, if that hadn't happened, we would have had kind of a mess. We'd probably still be out there. Uh, and I would be. Very unpopular. (laughs) (laughs) So, having run over my time, I will pass this off to some real scientists.